at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, happy or sad, officially Syracuse season slash mysterious Slovakian recruit week. Yeah, um, we'll go with the, with the, with the latter, um, but first talk about the former anyway, just because it's a bummer. Um, we kind of saw this coming. Uh, this was a, a, a very big part of the discussion uh, last week in the, uh, the, the secret tapes that'll, that'll probably never see the light of day, um, where Dan and I talked for 20 minutes about lacrosse, only to have it deleted by my computer crashing, um, because this is what happens. Yeah, I mean, we, we were, we, I, I mean, I don't think either, either of us predicted a straight-up loss, but I think we both figured Syracuse would be in for a dogfight because, you know, we've watched Syracuse play for a couple minutes this year, and that's how every game, aside from, like, a couple have gone. Uh, and Towson uh, just kind of seemed to play the style that would give Syracuse uh, frustration and, and with the ball control, and, and they got, a, you know, they, they, they got one of those hot goalie performances in the tournament with run into so many times recently they they did really well on the face-offs and SU came out sluggish it, it was it was like the sum of all fears for this particular Syracuse lacrosse team and it went about as uh if you were predicting a loss you probably predicted the game to look exactly the way it did yeah I uh I can't say that I loved the beginning unfortunately I couldn't say I was surprised by the beginning either it uh it very much re- looked like the beginning of just about every other game, win or lose. Um, as, as we all know, Syracuse has not started well all season. Uh, they pretty much seem went out of their way to give every team a head start and then try to test themselves to see if they could come back or not. Um, that strategy didn't work with Towson. It, never in my wildest dreams did I think we were going to lose that game, however, uh, and, and that's what makes this so tough. And, and that's, I think, what, what's what sent a lot of people reeling is like, and not even just like the usual fire desco people, but I feel like everybody um, is just, I think everybody's looking for answers just because of now it's, it's not just this loss. It's the whole season. It's because of the length of time between, you know, us really having a a complete campaign that, that ended in the final weekend. Um, I, I think a lot of people are confused. I, but I, my kind of counter to all that, um, just like we, we've talked about before, is you don't fire somebody unless you know who you're hiring to replace them. And I don't think there's anyone that can do a better job than Desco um, at, at this at SU right now. Yeah, that's my thing. I, I think there is very fair criticism of John Desco. I think as Syracuse, you want to have more postseason success than they have had recently. And I think if you want to be critical of Desco, that is totally legit, considering how the last four years and then much of the last eight years has gone. Um, I just think you have to be able to answer that question of, are you going to be able to hire a coach that's better? And and just like, I, I, I don't know what, if there's an obvious direction forward, if you do get rid of Desco. Maybe there is, but like, 
are you really going to go hire, uh, like, are you going to go poach one of the top coaches from another school? Like, it's not like there's another program that's stepping up and dominating the sport. It's it's, it's actually, like, there's actually become a, a fair amount of parity um, to lacrosse uh, recently. Like, there's this whole second tier, which we talk about a lot, that's risen up and really kind of taken the reins in these national tournaments with Denver or Notre Dame. And, you know, you can even argue a couple of those schools have, like, reached the first tier in terms of how they performed recently. But also, even with... Um, Games and a lot of them look very similar. I think you always want to be very weary of reading too much into single elimination tournaments. Obviously, the ultimate goal, especially as, as a program like Syracuse, is to win the national championship, and that requires winning these tournaments. But when when you're losing, you know, when you're going fifteen and three or something, and you're losing one game in the second of the tournament, like yeah, that that leaves a bad taste, and it, you fell far short of the ultimate goal for the program. But I don't think you want to make rash judgments over the future of the entire program based on these one-off games. And it stinks that that's the way that it's decided, and it's the same way in college basketball and everything else. Um, and, and because this is a smaller tournament and a smaller sport, uh, when Syracuse loses in the second round, it burns a lot more than in basketball, where you're like, okay, well, back to the drawing boards. Um, but I, I just think you can be critical of Despo and not come off like you know a, ra- a deranged lunatic where so many people, every time Syracuse is a goal, uh, in a regular, random, regular season game, uh, spout off about how, to, how you need to fire Desto in games that Syracuse ends up winning. So it kind of devalues the whole, um, the whole like, trumpeting for another coach when the people who seem really gun hell firing Desto are absurd about it during the year. Right. And I think, you know, Desto has, like, one of the three to five most talented teams in the country every year. Um, he has a history of success. It's not as if the, this this recent string of, of falling short of, of what are, as we both know, ridiculous expectations on an annual basis. Um, you know, it, it's not as if the, this is the only thing he's done. He has a resume of, of championship winning success. Um, you know, I, I think that, that then you have people who, there's a lot of diehards who are, you know, big fans of both the, the men's and women's team. And I think on the women's side, they're just kind of, they're merging their opinion of Gate and what he hasn't been able to accomplish, um, despite you know a lot of resources and a large budget and improved recruiting, I feel like they're merging the criticisms of the two. And to be honest, like this isn't going to turn into a women's lacrosse podcast necessarily. But at the same time, like that's a program worth maybe as- asking some questions about about the job Gates done when you look at how BC ran through that team a couple weekends ago. Yeah, and it's funny because Dates the name that a lot of people were pointing to like just three or four years ago about who should replace Desco. Um, the other thing is like this would be a lot different if Syracuse was was like what Hopkins has done recently, where they've had middling seasons and they sneak into the tournament. Syracuse is like the top a top four seed almost every year. Right. This year they were the two seed, and I don't think this was a particularly impressive Syracuse team on a weekly basis. They they won a lot of those games. Um, I think if you had like the Pythagorean charts, Syracuse probably. Uh, look a lot more like like a you know middle run ACC team this year, and they've well, got lucky and they they won. Said, they knew to win. Yeah, I think Glad said they overachieved by like two two and a half games, and like in a short season. Yeah, which seems about right. Yeah, like, like right. So, but even like even with that, yeah, if you even with the two or two and a half games. I'm oh, sorry. That's no, fine. We're just, <laughs> go ahead. We're, we're just going in circles. <laughs> Feel free to go, Dan. Okay, <laughs> that was great. This is what happens um, when you don't have visual cues. Yes, when you're three times as apart. Um, no, I, w- I was going to say uh, three times 
times um, even with the two or two and a half games you're looking at probably like the four or the five seed in the tournament so like if that's like a, a, a i'd say that's a, a one of the worst years in recent history in terms of the regular season and when that's the mark that you're hitting every year like yeah, it stinks that you're losing in these single elimination tournaments but like you're in a position to do well every year and it's not like desto hasn't won the tournament before and he's won the tournament when they're more dominant teams um, in contention every year. This year, I mean, there's a lot more of an even playing field, and there's more landmines, I think, throughout the tournament, but you don't have as many, uh, um, like, you don't have, like, the two or three powerhouses waiting for you at the end. It's the, uh, There's, you know, a bunch of more good teams. So, it, it, once Syracuse falls off, or if this happens ever, it might not, um, but if Syracuse gets to the point where they're finishing, you know, middle of the conference, and they're the sixth seed more often than not, then I think we have a good discussion. When they're the one with the two seed, and... Uh, almost every year, and they're making the tournament every year with ease, and they're winning the ACC every year, or most years. I know they, they fall short this year in the tournament, um, despite finishing first in the regular season. Like, then I think we have a discussion, and you can point to like uh, more than just one data point um, on a yearly basis. Um, but until then, I think we need to just kind of stay the course and, and see where we go. Because there, there isn't this, this lot of coaches around the country that you're going to point to to and say they will definitely do a better job. I don't think there's any coach you can point to and say, well, he will definitely do a better job than John Desto, even if you had your choice of the entire world of lacrosse coaches. Uh, it's just not that sport right now. So I think you have to tread very, very carefully. And, and again, that's not to say that there isn't legitimate uh, questions about the job he's done. I think there are. But I, I don't think we're anywhere near the point of where you fire him, especially considering, yeah, we lost to Towson. We lost to a Towson team that played really well. Um, and we lost to Towson as the two seed in the tournament as the nine seed after a bad year so it's it's uh it's tough i get the frustration and i share on the frustration i just think some people are trying to treat this like it's college basketball or something where you can point to you know 15 dream job coaches and say well we're the best program ever why can't we go get x like they're shaka smart's not out there um there just isn't like that guy waiting in the wings so you have to be very smart about this and uh i think um based on the uh athletic department we have now i think the that it's probably a good thing for Desco because um, Wild Hack has been there. I think he was a classmate of Desco's. He's been there. He knows Syracuse lacrosse. Um, he understands the program. So I think this is actually going to be, I mean, if you're Desco, I think you probably have to feel pretty good about things versus, like, if Mark Coyle was still here, I'd be interested to see uh, what would happen. But either way, um, I, I don't think we're anywhere near answering these questions right now. No, I mean, to be honest, I, I don't think Coyle would have had the balls to pull the trigger just because he he was never at a school beforehand that had any lacrosse tradition. That's very true. Yeah, like he, he just wouldn't have had the, the, the expertise and abilities. He, he would have relied on people within the department, and I think everyone within the department is pretty high on Desco. Um, the only thing that might have happened is that he would have... I think Gross would have fired him by now and would have pushed for... and just would have inserted Gate, to be perfectly honest. That's possible. I mean, that's... That's the problem with that, though, is that Gross was on such a fine, like, he was walking such a tightrope that you fire Desco and you risk losing, like, the entire lacrosse infrastructure. Obviously, hiring Gate would be would make, you know, make up for a part of it, but uh, firing Desco is tough. Like, that's a really, that's a ri ridiculously difficult decision, even if he starts losing uh, a lot, like, which he's not. He's not losing that much, right. which is the problem. He's losing at the wrong points, but I, I think it's, it's, it's a very, I would not want to make that decision. No, like, firing, firing Bayheim's harder because of the national thing. Firing Desco, in terms of just, like, Syracuse sports in a bubble, is not that much different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's had crazy success. I think you're completely right there. I think he's 
you know, for better or for worse, the, the, the face of the program. And, and he's, he's kind of ushered in, you know, the most recent era, which again, like, looks different to fans and, and, and different is bad. Um, I think especially with this fan base, that's not an insult. That's just a fact. Um, and don't at me because Syracuse fans can't claim, and, and again, this is us included, Syracuse fans can't claim that they are even more probably change averse than most fans around the country. Um, and, <laughs> and, and to be, you know, it, it's true. And to be honest, like it, it comes from, and again, this is something that you and I discussed multiple times. I discussed with Sean on this podcast multiple times. Like the fan base is, is shaped by a lot of stability, sameness, um, and, 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 reasonable success in in several major sports um they've only had a handful of coaches in in the three major sports that that su sponsors like so so yeah that'll happen um and i that doesn't mean it's realistic however um i for the sake of us keeping that stability and, and keeping that sameness like desco stands a better chance to get us right back to what we were used to than anyone else um, and, and, you know, you can't even say, and I'm sure, I don't even bother looking at these conversations, but I'm sure that tyranny is a name that gets tossed around um, quite a bit uh, when, when people are talking. But like you and I discussed last week uh, on the part of the show that was canceled, and I know that uh, Jim has mentioned it on the site and numerous others have as well, is that like the advantage of Denver right now is that you're the only game in town, um, save the military academies, like, well, one specific one, Air Force, um, if you want to play, you know, lacrosse anywhere like west of Texas. So Denver has an advantage there. Um, and they also get to play against a just not great Big East every year. They don't really get, they don't really have to be tested in the same way. They're not, you know, maybe as, as mentally and physically exhausted. But again, you know, there's plenty of great lacrosse out here. Um, and Denver really gets to mine that better than anyone else. Um, you know, he wouldn't have the same luxuries and no coach would have the same luxuries, um, at Syracuse, at Hopkins, at Princeton, Maryland, anywhere else, um, to just, you know, grab an entire region of the country's top lacrosse talent. So, um, you know, that, that strike one, if that's the route you're, you're, you're selling yourself on. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I do want to reiterate, like, I think we both share in the frustrations of the people who are frustrated about Syracuse across. It's just, you need to, like, I was very annoyed watching that game. Um, most of the first half when I was at brunch and had it on my screen on ESPN, it was like, oh, it's five to nothing already. That happened. Um, but, again, you have to just take a step back and and just look, just, just process, like, the whole situation uh, and the whole sport and and figure out, like, come up with an answer. Like, if you want to fire Desco, bring me an answer as to who you want to get and how you know or are very confident that, that will make the thing, that will make it better, and I will respect that. Um, I don't see a lot of those answers coming from the fire Desco crowd. No, you're, you're completely right there. And, you know, it, it, the, the limelight is we see with lacrosse, and not lacrosse, we see also with basketball is a double-edged sword. It's, okay, if you want, if you want that, that top four seed every year, Sometimes that comes with a loss, and if it comes with a loss, it might seem you know worse. But to be honest, I'd rather—I mean, obviously, I'd rather just win it all. But if you're not going to, I, I think you'd rather you know have a really great season, get a top four seed, and not make the final four than squeak in again, like you said, squeak into the tournament like Hopkins, get blown out in the first round, and then you sit around all the time wondering like. 
what happened to your program. Right, exactly. And and as this pro, as the sport continues to to uh, expand and grow and everything else, you don't want to be like left behind. Like I'm I'm way happier being in the position at Syracuse than Hopkins. And Hopkins is the only school that has anywhere near the tradition Syracuse does, and they don't have any other major sports to really worry about, and they haven't been able to figure it out. Syracuse has every, every major sport, to, except for baseball, if you want to count that, which is, you know, maybe a little bigger than lacrosse nationally uh, on the college level, um, to worry about. And they still manage to, to, like, be competitive in the best conference in, in the country every single year since they joined it and have a million national titles and are a national championship contender pretty much every season. So I think in the macro, um, aside from just not having that title for, you know, what, eight years now, nine years? Um, yeah, which is gross. It was my freshman year, I kicked myself for not going that that I was a game time decision. Like, it stinks. But we're in, I think we've been at least in the discussion pretty much every year since. Like, it's, we're always right there. And eventually, odds are, I think we will break through. And I think that, that will be with John Desto as average. Agreed, agreed. Um, moving on to the other big topic for this week, uh, before we get into just random nonsense. Um, Syracuse got another recruit for basketball in 2017, and that's a good thing, obviously. And not only that, but it's someone who's very unlikely to go one and done. Uh, the Slovakian forward, uh, Marek Dolezaj. Is uh, is officially with SU. Um, obviously, a little bit more on the clearinghouse front, perhaps to get past. But um, they announced him, so I imagine he's good. I don't think they would have announced him if he wasn't good. Fair. But yeah, but I, it's Syracuse, so Syracuse we might be wrong. <laughs> Assuming he's there, though, yeah, I think we have a really good four-year guy, um, kind of a, a Christoph Ogenat type, who can maybe see his abilities upswing. I mean, I saw a scout had him, would have had him as like a four-star. I think they have him as a four-star, yeah. Yeah, so he's the type of guy who really needs to add some bulk, but um, can still provide some meaningful depth now and, and some potential, you know, real talent later on for SU. I'm more excited about him after, like, watching, and obviously it's highlights, so, he, you know, you only, you only know so much, especially coming from Slovakia. That being said, um, I watched a decent amount of his tape. Um, I, I'm impressed. Like he, uh, he at first thing that jumps off, dude's really athletic. Uh, there are some. If you go to his Instagram page uh, and be creepy like that, you can find a lot of film of him throwing down some like really nasty dunks for a six foot eight uh, wing. Um, has legit hops. Uh, I mean, he's a creative dunker. I don't know how much that actually means for in game, but he's very athletic, which is fun. Um, he apparently shoots the ball pretty well. Uh, most of what you see is him slashing to the rim, but he uh, he seems to have good uh, body control. He actually has a pretty decent dribble. Uh, and decent dribble guy, and his size. The rim is is still not really a bad thing to have. No, I'm excited about it. Like he he handles the ball a lot. Um, in in what I've seen, uh, there's a YouTube video out there that is like under his name. Uh, if you look it up, and it has like. Some highlights featuring him. I think he's number seven if you find it. Are his, um, uh, are his clips like set to Eastern European rap? I, I had it on mute because I was at work. I really hope they are. I need to go I, look that I, up. I, I'm praying they are. <laughs> because if so, whoever, <laughs> whoever's in the AV department at SU needs to, needs to splice some of those together ASAP for uh, the next <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, no, he he, uh, he he handles the ball a lot, especially like uh, bringing the ball up after like a defensive rebounds. He, he seems like pretty fluid in terms of, of handling the basketball, which I feel like we haven't had in years at Syracuse. Like, Wyden was pretty catch and shoot. He didn't really slash too much. Um, Wyden's going to be the guy that I think people compare him to. I don't know that that's totally fair. I think Wyden was uh, had a you know a bigger frame, more of a shot blocker. Um, Dolezal definitely seems like more of a, of a natural wing. Um, but I, I think it's a good add. I don't know how much of an impact he'll be this year. Um, he's very, very uh, skinny. He's like 175 pounds. At six nine, so he really needs to put some some muscle on, and, and hopefully, uh, after a couple of years in the program, he will. Um, but he seems very skilled, and that's good. And for a late ad uh, that a couple other power conference teams wanted, I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, I like it. I think between him, I really like what Hughes is going to bring to the table eventually. Um, and then if we add whether it's Thorpe or somebody else, I, I think that the you know, I think our our classes of recruits have, have kind of turned on their head a little bit in terms of what that entails um, lately but I, I do like our, our crop of new additions um, when it's all said and done I think we, we've addressed some needs um, both in the short and long term uh, which could be great for, for a program I feel like was always kind of looking just one year ahead uh, with all the sanctions and, and, and the impact of that on the program yeah, yeah it definitely seems like more of a uh... It seems like this whole class, like, I don't see anyone that's that's projected to leave uh, anytime soon. If they do, hopefully it's after two years, like, we've got a Tyler Lydon or one of those guys, and there's not too much you can find about there. But uh, I don't know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy about this class that we have coming in overall. I, I think um, it seems like our guys are, are a little bit under the radar, um, but uh, Sidibe looks like, you know, a pretty impressive center, uh, which uh, a guy who is athletic and store, I think, uh, Brissette and Washington have, having them coming in as, as team, teammates can only help. Um, it's not going to like a class that's going to like jump out at you, uh, but and it's you know not as good as some of the ones we had in the last like you know like five years ago when we hit that peak of recruiting. But overall, it seems like four guys who should be able to play at the next level, and I'm pretty pretty excited about it. Same here. I, uh, I don't have any complaints. I just hope that we. Uh, I hope that, that this is kind of the, the start of you know. Autry really doing some nice closing work um, on the trail and, and SU kind of, again, getting out ahead a couple of years because uh, I feel like that's something that might have gone away um, with the sanctions, but it seems like it might be getting back on track now with a lot of offers out uh, for 2018 and 2019 already. Yeah, I mean, I think we almost got bit by, it was almost like the, uh, in, the, in the pros, like the salary cap coming back to get you because we're not uh, Kentucky and Duke where they can replenish every year, and we just recruited really well for a stretch of four or five years where we were getting unexpected one-and-dones, and we were having guys leave a year early. Um, and, and Kentucky and Duke, they know that's going to happen. Like, that's in the plan. It's, it's a surprise when Kentucky guys stay for year two at this point. Um, so they, they're all set to to uh, account for that, and you have a, a situation like uh, Jordan Tucker where, you know, Duke comes in last-second plan B offer, and he goes there after, like, two weeks of being recruited versus, you know, we were on him for longer, and then there were a bunch of other schools that were on him for, like, a year before us. Um, we are not that school, and, again, we've talked about this before, those are the only two programs that recruit that way. Like, Arizona's kind of in that range, but they're more, more uh, pick-and-choose. Like, they don't go head-to-head as much with and those other two. they Final Fours anyway, so who cares? And then, right. <laughs> um, so I think, like, all of that, uh, really, especially with, with Lydon and, and Richardson and McCall, uh, 
and all the other guys who left a good year before Ennis was is the most obvious one for that. Um, that all came back, and I think that really hurt us uh, down the stretch. And that's not to say that it wasn't worth getting those guys. I think it always is. You always take the talent. But um, hopefully now uh, that means that we are going to like reset a little bit and build up some four-year classes, and then we can start trying to put in those, those one- and two-year guys again. Um, and like I actually, the, the really good point you made was uh, Autry was, uh, I think he was the head guy in Dolezage. Um, I think, I mean, he's going to have to really pick up the slack that Hopkins leaves behind, which is, uh, you know, one of the best recruiters in the country. And, and the fact that he's able to identify a kid like this to uh, came in late, I don't think he was really on the radar till like, February for just in terms of being a, a D1 recruit. Right. Um, I think that's when he started to announce that he wanted to play college basketball in the U.S. Um, just getting in there quickly like that and turning it around, and, and it sounds like he's going to be in, considering Syracuse announced him, uh, announced his NOI. Um, that's just really good work. So hopefully that's uh, a sign of things to come from the recruiting angle. Agreed, agreed. Um, Dan, why don't we shift a little to halftime, and then we can uh, jump back into some Syracuse talk. Sounds good. What, uh, what have you been drinking? Um, nothing too uh, crazy. Just a lot of like my standard things. Um, I had I still have a, a sits pack of Brooklyn Sriracha Ace in my in my fridge, which I haven't cracked into yet, and I didn't realize they put that in the sits packs. I thought it was only uh, bombers, but uh, I'll get to that. Um, I had some more uh, from my the brewery that my friend works at, uh, Wolf uh, Hollow. Um, finished off a, a growler of that the other day. I forget. I think it was their. Uh, Whatever one I drank last time, I can't remember the name of it. Um, the only super new thing I had this week, um, one of my the bars that we go to a lot locally had a like New Orleans themed like celebration over the weekend. So they had an Abita takeover, hmm. and uh, so you know had had the normal Abita stuff. Um, I had their, their uh, Creole Premale, which I'm not a huge fan of Premales generally. Uh, this was really good. It was super smooth, super drinkable. Um. I had, like, three of them, which uh, it was just, like, one of the only ones I hadn't had, so I tried it, and I was very, uh, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Um, I, I also think that the fact that the most notable pre-mail in my life before that was uh, Jenny probably doesn't <laughs> help the, the whole cause. Um, this was a lot better than Jenny pre-mail. Uh, I'm sorry if you are Jenny pre-mail athletes, which I know so many upstate are, but uh, that beer's trash. This was not. Um, this was quite good, so shout-out to Abita. Yeah, I I don't really know a ton of great cream ales out in the Northeast. I know that there's some out here, um, but nonetheless, like a lot of folks go toward the blonde route if they're going to go for something lighter, an easy drinker. Um, I know I, I've talked about this beer for weeks. I've been on, you know, not even weeks, months. I've been on a kicks like all year. Alagash put out their, uh, what's it called? Hoppy Table Beer, their, uh, their t- uh, Pater's Beer. It's a kind of take on a, on a Belgian style that, that you know folks w- would use to brew just to have beer um, when they had company uh, but it's under five percent uh, again I know Allagash gets out there plenty so if you if you see it get it because uh, it, especially with the summer coming it's nice to have something a little more uh, quote-unquote crushable in the uh, in the heat and humidity of New York I like that uh, I think a couple of weeks ago we were talking about that article where it was like blondes are the new uh sours or the new like trendy type of beer and i think we kind of like laughed about that and then the last two weeks i think Here we are <laughs> the most interesting beers i've had the last two weeks were like the carolina blonde from charlotte and then now this pre-mail both styles i rarely drink 
great, uh, and I've really enjoyed them. So uh, I guess the joke's on us for liking beers that usually aren't that interesting. So I guess it's not much of a joke. Yeah, that's why we. Uh, that's why we write about football and not not beer. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to think what else I drank. Oh, had a had a 5150 IPA from Iron Fire, which is localish. That was okay. Um, had some Fruitlands Apricot from Modern Times. Uh, that was pretty solid. Had a buddy of mine from Texas sent uh, a raspberry Berliner Weiss from uh, St. Arnold called uh, Raspberry AF. And uh, thought that was clever. It was on, on the nose for the Times. And uh, it was also a really good beer. I wish we had, uh, wish we had some of that out here. It was, uh, it was really refreshing and delicious. And also stopped at, I usually end up stopping at uh, Big Bear Lake Brewing when I'm up in the mountains, but wanted to try out Big Bear Mountain Brewing, um, and Big Bear Mountain Brewing was much better. Um, atmosphere was cool, it was just an old house that they had redone into a brewery. Um, nothing like crazy good, but uh, their wit beer, Endless Summer, uh, I'd, I'd definitely drink again. I would definitely um, check out their Mountain Pub Ale, uh, again, it's their Pale Ale, and then their uh, Little Beaver IPA was uh was best ipa i've had from from the mountain breweries up there um and then had some like repeat ones as well had some amarillo gorilla uh, from smog city some citraholic from beechwood and then again uh had some hoppy table beer because i usually try to have a a four pack of that around uh whenever possible good stuff indeed um some other su things um lately we have Athlon release their all ACC teams today for listeners yesterday. Um, and Syracuse had five players on the list, which uh, which is kind of like a high watermark, I think, for us on the Athlon list. Uh, we're not used to getting so much love from them, which is uh, is what it is, I guess. Uh, we were not last. We finished I think, tied for twelfth with Georgia Tech. We had five players. Um, and Sterling Hoffrichter was the first team punter, which I uh, which I feel like validates my constant defense of him. Also, I, I think Riley Dixon always ended up being like overlooking these things for like the Wake Forest punter was also pretty good, but not nearly. Yeah, not nearly as good. Um, so I, I'd say this is justice for Riley. This is justice for Riley, uh, which sounds like the name of this the, is... the Hallmark movie about Riley's life. This is like Ernie Davis winning the Heisman for Jim Brown that stuff. Dan, do you think there's anyone else? <laughs> it's just like <laughs> exactly that. like that. Dan, do you think there's anyone else that should have been on this team besides the five names who were there? Which for listeners uh, it was Sterling Hoffrichter, Eric Dungy, Steve Ishmael, Irvin Phillips, and Zaire Franklin were the names that made the team. Uh, not really. I think those are the the ones. Honestly, um, anyone else? I think you're kind of projecting forward versus like what they've actually accomplished uh so I, I was actually pretty happy with how with everyone that made it and i thought you pretty much let everyone in there that that earned it i was actually almost surprised to see dungy just because he his you know uh he's done really well when he's played but because he's missed so many games i was a little surprised to see him on well, just there uh, obviously happily surprised no i mean you have francois you have a couple others but um jackson yeah with the two names ahead of him but other than that i mean i did that article last week about quarterback matchups and like the names are just not really uh they're not flush with experience that's true now that i think about it like there are so many guys that left like the virginia tech guy who had a nice year and then bounced really unexpectedly um and i don't think i don't think he got drafted right 
wait. So yeah. I, no, he didn't. Did he? No, he didn't. You're right. Yeah. Brad Kaya barely I didn't got think so. so. Yeah, you're. Yeah, so I guess you're right. Um, I guess the, the two like headliners are pretty big names, and after that, there's a pretty steep uh, follow up. But it, I was very happy to see those five guys make it, and I think they're all pretty uh, well deserving. Um, they played really well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I like I said in the article, I kind of mentioned Bennett just because I felt like he's someone who's definitely put up the numbers, maybe not the same ones as Franklin, but um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I don't really have any gripes. If you wanted to keep it at that five, I think if we see another addition or two, then then great. Franklin's also helped with the fact that he's been a captain since like 1830, and <laughs> he's been at media days for like eight years in a row, and all the reporters know him. They know other Syracuse guys, so um, I think he's just aided by like the you know that all that works in your favor in terms of these like reporter voting things. Agreed, agreed. Um, one other thing, and this might take some digging. Um, I spent several hours of my evening on Tuesday um, coming up with 100 facts about Syracuse football. And you know what? I would have been able to do 100 facts without much time exerted if it was just 100 facts, but I made sure that they lined up to the numbers, um, which made it a little more challenging than when I did it last time. Um, Dan, were there any numbers that kind of jumped out to you right off the bat that like that you just like didn't see coming. Yeah, I, I took some notes here. Um, the most preparation I've done for this in a long time. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Uh, four. Uh, the Syracuse hasn't had a rusher in four years, um, which I, I knew. I guess if I had thought about it, uh, it's just crazy because my, my freshman year was the Curtis Brinkley year, which was the first um, thousand year rusher in that string we had had through the uh, Marone years, uh, as that was the end of G-Rob, but through Marone. Um, it's crazy that after it seemed like we were destined to have a thousand-year rusher, no matter what, it's been so long since we've had one. Uh, and that's, you know, I hope it will change soon because we, we know that uh, the commitment to the run is likely to be a, a thing that's coming back hard in the next couple of years, um, even after last week, you know, just couldn't run the ball at all. Um that's just very stark because it seemed like we were so it was just a thousand yards is like a, a a benchmark that someone was on a date every year well, through we the beginning of my Syracuse team. fandom. And we were, were running team under Schaefer. Yeah, we just weren't good. But we're, we're miserable. At we were a running team in that, that we were bad at running, but we were also bad at throwing. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, uh, the the ten, uh, 10 total Syracuse alum in the NFL, I don't know if that seems high or low to me. Um, kind of around the same same thing, like, we had that stretch in the middle of, like, end of Marone or Schaefer, where it seemed like we were getting pretty good results in the NFL draft. We had a couple uh, first-rounders in a row uh, with Pugh and, and Chandler. Um, so I'm not like sure Hogan if that... Stuff got drafted too, like... Yeah, we had, like, a lot of guys getting drafted, like, the fifth and sixth round, which seems to have fallen off. Um, so hopefully we, we buoy that number, since Syracuse uh, always pops up on those lists of, like, that's the, the schools that have put in, like, I think we have, what, the fifth most NFL Hall of Famers or something. I think we're, like, tied or right behind Alabama. Yeah. In, the, in terms of that, we're going to probably have a couple more. I think Freedy should be in. I think Tom Coughlin will definitely get in. Marvin Harrison just got in, if I'm not mistaken, right? Um, yeah, I always forget like what people think about the whole gunplay thing. Uh, they don't think that much about it because it's a very underreported story. <laughs> uh, it's, it's the weirdest. Uh, somebody's going to do a 30 for 30 about it. It's the weirdest story probably like inhabiting the, the, the orbit of football that like nobody talks about. It's it's bizarre, um, 
but yeah, I mean, I think Freeney, Freeney's probably the most controversial, I mean, McNabb's the most controversial one, I don't think he should be in, mm. I'm not going to complain about it, I, wrote a blog post I think he's close, oh wait, like back when ESPN had like those micro blog, like setups, like I wrote about it, and like the numbers back him up, but like barely, the numbers are decent, um, especially considering the, the era, are good enough, for sure, yeah, it just he doesn't scream Hall of Famer to me, um, and I, I don't like that like a thing. Like I'm totally willing to bend to the numbers, but I don't think the numbers are. Like there are guys who like don't seem like Hall of Famers, and you look at the numbers, you're like, oh yeah, these numbers slide right in. For Nab, I feel like the numbers are like borderline, and then like just remembering his career, he didn't seem like Hall of Famer. But I, I would celebrate if he got in, uh, um, just for Syracuse's sake. I think Freeney should definitely be in. Uh, Coughlin, I think will get in for sure. Um, do we count Al Davis? Is he already in? I think he's probably already he's in. in. But I don't think he, um, does he count. I don't know if we count him. Um, either way, like the Syracuse has done a keep on rising, so uh, in that list, and that's a thing that we should uh, promote as much as possible um, because I don't think many people would know that. Um, the stats you have about the points per game: uh, we were twenty five point seven last year. We allowed thirty eight point six. Hopefully, those numbers are both. Uh, inverted coming together this year yes that'd be nice um i think uh tied uh pairing the the offensive numbers with the 78 uh your stat number 78 which was a syracuse inverted 78.38 percent of red zone attempts which is one third in the country i think both those things are kind of hand in hand just move the ball really well they did not move the ball into the end zone very well um but i wouldn't be shocked if you saw a pretty stark jump just in terms of scoring because you know, Syracuse put up good yardage, not like the yardage that we'll probably see in a couple of years, but they moved the ball pretty well against most teams. Um, oh, yeah, I looked. They were actually so the best team. Efficiency the, goes up. They were the best team in the country um, in third and three or less situations, like something I didn't even know. They were they converted 80%. That's impressive. 80% of the time they converted. Like, it was like I hadn't even like looked at those numbers. I was just like messing around on CFB stats last night. Just to see, like, where I could find, you know, numbers to fill out this god godforsaken list. <laughs> and and one of them was that. Yeah, like, the, I just had no idea. And, like, I hadn't even heard anyone talk about it. Just, like, just how lethal SU was um, in, in those third and very short situations. And, you know, I had no idea about that until just now. That That's super, uh, that makes me very encouraged because that means that we know what we want to do in those situations. And it's not like... Um, in coach, coaches of the of years past, where you're like, <laughs> it never seemed like we, <laughs> it never seemed like we had a plan for any situation. Like clearly, I, I'd be interested to to go if I had any kind of if I had this time at all. Um, going to see like if Babers ran the same couple plays because it makes it seem like Babers knows exactly what he wants to do in third and short, and he's obviously very successful at converting that. So um, hopefully, he can bring that to the red zone, where it's kind of a similar thing. And obviously, scoring is, is a little harder than converting third and three, but like you have a go-to set of plays that you know work um, in this specific area. Uh, hopefully, that uh, becomes a thing that we improve on. Because I mean, if you, if you just start converting uh, a red zone attempts by an extra um, 10%, and a lot of that's field goals too, which were an adventure last year, as we've talked about a number of times, um, your scoring just jumps. Uh, because obviously, there's, there's a huge breakdown um, between like twenty five point seven points, I'm sure if you're up to like thirty points a game, um, you jump a pretty good chunk of the way through those standings. 
But you um, have a good point there, let's too, see, number... about, um, like, did they run the same play? Because I feel like that's probably the case based on the stat that David Hale pulled last week that Irv was one of the more efficient, like, third and, like, third down, con- oh. third and fourth down conversion players. I mean, and Irv pretty much caught the exact same pass 90 times last year. Um, so I'd say that that's That's fair. a really good point. Yeah, and between that and Dungy's runs that usually converted pretty well on, on third and fourth down, um, yeah, I, I do feel like you probably saw the same two plays um, on those third and short situations, which, uh, I mean, Babers is someone who, if you can't stop it, he's going he's gonna to pound you into the ground, and I feel like that was probably what happened. And you know what, considering, uh, and they probably do a really good job of, of disguising it because it's not like we were, you know, the ACC is a pretty damn good group of coaches. So um, I'd say that's pretty, uh, I'd say that's a good sign because if they can get the ball into their uh, effective players' hands in that position over, over, and over, and teams, you know, I'm, obviously I'm sure we didn't have the same success in this Clemson that we did against, you know, whomever else last year. But if, if you know, the, the opponents that we were facing couldn't stop it or could recognize it or adjust for it um, easily, that's that's a really good sign, I think. That's a sign of good coaching and, and coaching that's effective, um, considering what we know about Babers, which is, like you said, he's not afraid to go, go to the same thing over and over and over and make a team prove that they can stop it. Last year, clearly, in that situation, it was not a thing that was being stopped. Um, so, hopefully that translates to the red zone issue, which uh, I feel pretty decent about. Agreed. Um, the one that shot me probably more than anything else and it's totally irrelevant to this year's team uh how the heck did jim collins record 42 tackles in 1979 no idea in a game in Penn state that's incredible i randomly found that number um i know i posted it in, in slack um and th- this this is a this is a, a knock on su and I, and I hope they hear this that they fix it um the su football record books haven't have only been sporadically updated since about 2008 uh, meanwhile, Wikipedia has a pretty solid running list updated through the end of 2016 uh, for a lot of both career and individual uh, numbers. This was one of them, uh, and again, one that I had no idea about. So, um, good on Wikipedia for having that for us. Um, and yeah, I yeah, I wonder, I want that. I'd love to hear the story behind this now, and I kind of want to go find Jim Collins and interview him because this seems like a story. This is why we have to all be disappointed about Bud Pollock when retiring. Because he definitely knows this. Oh, he absolutely knows this story. <laughs> this, is, this would have been a great, like, the, 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 one, the one or two pieces a year that Bud was really good about. Uh, this would have been a great one. Um, hopefully someone at the post-standard can, like, knock on someone's door or something. We can find out more about this. That's an insane number of tackles. And I'm sure Penn State ran the ball a million times, but still. Um, Number 75, obviously, uh, the first meeting between Syracuse and Tulane in 1975 uh, was pretty much just for for us, and I appreciated that. Um, And then I think the last one I pulled here was 93, which was Syracuse turns 93% of defensive production. We've talked about this before. Uh, That's a Bill C stat. Shout out to Bill C. Um, I don't know. Like, that doesn't always portend good things, considering how bad the defense was last year, but also considering how young the defense was and how there are a couple guys who... You know, put made solid impressions last season. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic about that. You know what? We're still super young this year, like which is weird because I feel like we've been saying this for four straight years now. It's just we've had a lot of people leave the program. Also true. <laughs> but yes, it does not change the fact that we are still super young. We're just like, wow, 
Last year we were all like freshmen and sophomores. This year we're just like all sophomores. We're, we're just Benjamin buttoning the whole thing. Yes. We're bringing in... We do have like JUCOs. So we bring in JUCOs that like somehow transform into true freshmen. That's what... That retain their, their JUCO abilities. Well, because we have... Um, what's it called? Um, Barry has, is, a, is a play three in four years guy. And then... Is Pierce... Which is nice. You don't usually get that. Yeah, you don't. I think I think Pierce is a three for three. I which think, is, which is still, I mean, the fact that we're getting three years out of a bunch of these guys. It negates a lot of the issues with with, with relying on JUCOs. Judo, it's yeah. like you, I can't. Like usually, that's like oh, you only get one or two years out of them, and who knows if they'll be even ready the first year. If you're getting three years out of a guy, like that's not that much different than you know a guy who jumps to the NFL or or, or whatever or a red shirt and, and leaves earlier or. or grad transfers so like it's a pretty close to the normal amount which is nice and also it's you know guys like Pierce who are expected to have big impacts and are some of the bigger recruits that uh we brought in yeah and to be honest the, the, the one good probably best thing about the recent JUCOs has been they're not guys who come in and start and, and take up like a boatload of minutes they've been guys who have been really great depth ads so when you when they leave all you do is you can just plug in another depth ad and, and that can either be through the JUCO ranks or through traditional recruiting um, at the high school level. Like, I mean, the, the last the last JUCO, and this is not even looking at the list, the last JUCO I can think of who, like, played significant minutes and started was probably Sariki. Yeah, but I don't think he even started, like, right away. Like, it took no, him he a little he bit. Did, he didn't start um, until senior year, I think. But, like, I mean, I just mean, like, in terms of, like, a JUCO guy that you really had to, like, scramble to replace. Yeah, I mean, we haven't had that many of those. Um, and, we, I mean, I think that we've been, you know, we haven't had, like, these monstrous JUCOs who come in and and uh, light the world on fire, but we've also, it seems like most of the guys that we brought in have been decent contributors, which, you know, sometimes you have JUCOs come in and they're just not, they're not prepared and they fall on their face, which... It seems like we've gotten at least something out of everyone that's come in the last couple of years. Through, yeah. through, I mean, even through like Schaefer and Morel, which is nice. Yeah, Lasker started. Ted Taylor started sporadically and was a great depth addition. Like, I've, I've been fine with most of our recent two guys. Yep. I think there's a little bit of a trap of like sometimes the expectations are like super high on them, and I think Pierce will probably have that because he was the four star guy and number one uh, recruit in the country, class not the country. Um, and, you know, obviously he was an SEC recruit before this, but uh, he also, I mean, he was like one of the only offensive guys that really looked like a, a big-time player in the spring game, so hopefully that translates. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we view spring games the same way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ignore the negative, and I'm going to embrace the positive. Um, and, and in this case, that means uh, getting very excited about what Pierce can do. And to be honest, another guy who I know we, like, touched on him after the spring game... Um, Another guy that, that I'm definitely excited about and it would probably be Jesse Connors, who uh, who's the Holy Cross um, transfer. He's a walk-on, but if any of the current preferred walk-ons, which, uh, spoiler alert, is all of them, uh, <laughs> end up being a scholarship guy down the road, Connors might be it. It definitely seems that way. It's almost like he, he can't play this year, right? It's a weird thing. Can't. Because I thought, is it that you can transfer from FBS to FCS and play, but you can't transfer up and play? 
No, I think you can. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure you can't play this year. Um, I don't know the reasoning behind it. Uh, I should, we should probably look that up. Um, but I'm pretty sure I remember seeing like a thing that he like basically would have been on the depth chart, but this rule prevents it. Yeah, I, I think you know this was kind of an unsung part of, of the offseason. I feel like we like immediately reloaded and upgraded our, our tight end position. Um, you know, trading out guys who might have been productive in a different system or used correctly, like Kendall Moore, like uh, Cam McPherson, um, a bunch of others. Those names escape me at the moment. Um, and we upgraded them for for Pierce, who's a who's a you know fringe blue chip recruit, depending on. Uh, the season or, or what measures you want to use um, hack it who's going to be a guy who, who you're going to be able to plug in um, in interesting ways I think down the road I think he's someone who you see a lot more of probably his third year on campus was probably Richard's sophomore year um, as Pierce gets to the end of his time um, I think that you end up seeing um, Connors get plugged in um, in creative ways he seems more of like a, a true H-back type um, and, and then you have, you know, we've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum, um, how, how Anoisi and, and uh, Custis get used um, could both be really interesting. I think, yeah, we, 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 we're seeing a different tight end position, but one that could really, uh, really surprise and excite um, this offense um, as Baber shows himself kind of, you know, affable to, to, to changing parts of his system to fit what, uh, what, what's going on right now with tight ends in college football. And also, it literally can't be used less. Yeah, you, 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 can't, you, can't, you can't use tight ends less than they have been the last two years, but if, especially last year when you might as well have not even had the position. Yeah, that. Anyway, um... I know we got a few minutes left if we want. Dan, is there anything that's been going on in uh Oh, might, might as well uh might as well give a shout out to uh to the mothership a little bit. Um for those who didn't see our article the other day or the links that we posted on Twitter, um SB Nation uh is kind of stumping for Bill Connolly as the uh fictional uh commissioner of college football and he did make a really compelling case to own the job, Dan. Um was there anything in particular that really stood out to you as the reason why he deserves the title? Um, I actually haven't even had a chance to read that yet. Uh, I have it pocketed somewhere. Uh, and we'll hopefully get to it tonight. Um, I will say uh, I've had a couple beers with Bill after his book came out, and uh, I wholeheartedly believe that he probably has some really good ideas in there. I saw there was something um, that I saw being talked about. Uh, what was it? I'll think of it real quick. He had... Hold on. The, I mean, the. I'm trying to. I don't have them in front of me right now, but I think his uh, his player bill of rights was a big one that I'd endorse, and that also ties into paying the players. Um, if you can get those t- two things done, then you can also address one of his other uh, kind of platforms, which was um, bringing back NCAA football uh, from EA Sports. Um, I, I think that that's a key. I know on uh, on this week's shutdown fullcast, they were addressing. Um, you know, Spencer said this and nobody really responded and I don't know why. Um, why don't you just have mascot mode now? Like what's, what's preventing us from having mascot mode? Uh, a lot of it doesn't make any sense. Why they need to get that game back. I, I would, I, I don't have, I haven't bought a system in I think two generations. I would go buy it tomorrow if Same. NCAA was out. And Same. I would play, like, the only video game I played probably and I, I'd be very happy to do it. 
But why don't they have mascot mode? <laughs> I just don't understand. <laughs> like, I'd play ma- I would play mascot mode every day of my life. You know what's great is you know that EA would just make mascot mode, but they'd assign, like, the heights and weights and the skill <laughs> attributions from the actual players. So you'd have... You'd have Otto. You'd have, Otto, Otto, you'd have er- Eric Dungey Otto. <laughs> Steve Otto, Ishmael Otto. Why does Otto have a number two on his back? Wow, he's, he seems like a real dual threat. That's weird. When did Otto get so uh, get, get so skilled? And why is that Otto? Why is that Otto really good at moving linemen? That, that Otto is keeps on converting third down. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, that Otto is a is, is a very skilled slot receiver. What did he catch? Ninety balls last year. Cool. That, uh, oh god, that'd be so much fun. That would happen. Um, but yeah. If they don't bring back the regular game, bring it back as mascot mode. I'll recruit. I'll recruit autos all over the place. Um, and, and oh, they need to make you like able to recruit just various autos from around the country. Please, yes. Please, yes. I think we would have to only recruit like Florida and California, right? Like, how many other orange-bearing states are there? Probably none. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know where else you'd grow them. That's fine. Oh, it's like Florida, I guess Florida would have more room because like there are gators elsewhere. But uh, I guess they'd be very state focused. Which 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 school would have the hardest time recruiting for its mascot? UAB. Uh, UAB because they're not real. <laughs> um, no, they um, actually they would just recruit California because we make dragons in Hollywood. Um, who would have a really terrible time? Um, if you were Stanford, would you actually have to like do anything, or could you just just go grab the trees? I mean, there are like redwoods up there, right? Like, how yeah. far are those? Not very far. Redwood and City is like. I'm guessing they would all have good grades. Yeah, red... <laughs> they're they're incredibly smart. You know what? A, a, a sneaky tough one, Tulsa. Like, how many Golden Hurricanes are out there? Probably none. Yeah, Tulsa just have to like end their program, and they wouldn't even have uh, Bear Bryant's son have to like push them out, like UAB. <laughs> Oh, Akron would have a tough time. How many, uh... That's just so many flights. It's so many flights, or you'd have to, like, try to sneak into zoos. (laughs) (laughs) Those bastards bastards in Akron stole all of our kangaroos. Terry Bowden hopping fences to steal kangaroos from zoos around the country. That would be the best television show. Um, Jeez, what a... I mean, Baylor would just have a hard time on paper. I mean, that, that's already the case. Nittany right. uh, Lions aren't real, technically. Also, actually, Baylor's team of literal bears would be so much less objectionable than everything else that's done on a Baylor recently. <laughs> Very much agreed. They just climb trees and eat honey. They haven't harmed anyone. <laughs> yeah, you guys are fine. Whatever. You don't have to put jerseys on them. I'll watch. Um, although, I, I've, I've probably mentioned this. Um, I paid a visit to Baylor last year. Um, just because I was driving, um, from, what's it called, uh, Fort Worth down to Austin, and I stopped into the new stadium, McLean Stadium, or whatever the hell it is, um, and in their, uh, in their, like, club level for, like, high-level donors who, everybody in there was, like, eating free meals, you know, on the, uh, on the university slash their dime, and they were all, like, above 65 or 70 years old, and all these, like, oil people, but... Um, I can't believe it. I know it's it's, it's shocking, uh, and and you know who greets you when you get into the club because I, I asked them if I could just like 
go out to the club level just to like look at a view of the stadium because um, the stadium was like closed. Um, so I, I was able to do that. But who greets you is a very large bear in a like 1996-ish like Baylor jersey. Like he's just this like <laughs> large. I'll send you the photo after. But uh, yeah, it's 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 very strange. I, actually, I might just use it as the uh, as the as the header photo for this. Actually, no, I shouldn't because I don't want to start. Creating, I'm gonna say I don't want to start creating. Oh, don't do that. Between Baylor and Syracuse. Um, the one we're forgetting, uh, Western Kentucky. Um, I don't know where they make those blobs. Uh, I don't know where you find them. Um, Excuse me, Hilltopper. What are what might you be? But unless you take the name in another uh, in another direction and you just raid gas stations for bats of Big Red, maybe that's what he is. Maybe he's just a blob together like he's like four pieces of chewed Big Red just like smushed together. He could be. Oh, we just got his football commit. Oh, what? Breaking news! Breaking news on the podcast. Let me turn my computer back on. Instant instant analysis. Hold on. Jawar Jordan. <laughs> From uh, I have no idea where. Um, I like literally had never heard about this kid. That doesn't mean he's not like good. He actually might be great. Um, I how do you spell his name? J A W H A R. Jordan. J A W H A R. I misspelled his name and it still came up on Huddle uh, on Google first. Uh, Jawar Jordan. It looks like he's a track star, unless there's a different one. That's, um, that's cool. I mean, it's not really atypical for us. He's a running back from Arizona. Am I? Do I have the right guy? Maybe I. Since I was trying, yeah. to make, I was trying to make sure this computer didn't crash, so I had everything but Skype and our recording software off. So I've been using my phone to look everything up. I like that we're like, oh, this is live. This will be so cool. But then, like, everyone will know all, yeah. all of this by the time it, it hits tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, we saw running back from Arizona. Like after after the <laughs> podcast ends. Uh, he has an Arizona offer. He has an Iowa State offer. Kansas. Uh, Fresno State, Hawaii, Idaho, UMass, Mizzou, Oklahoma State. Really, good, you know, solid offer list. Rutgers. He's what? Um, I would assume he's like a mid three. Uh, uh, it's like eighty three on twenty four seven. Um, number seventy four running back for the country. Number ten recruiting to decent state. Nice get. Uh, five ten one sixty. So smaller, like stat back type. Looks like we offered him. We were the last offer, so um, we didn't like. You know, we just went and got him. That's uh, Pretty good. That's two running backs now for 2018? I uh, believe so, yeah. Um, we have him, and we have the last, our last commit was also a running back, right? Uh, Akeem Dixon from Vera Beach. And then, uh, just we assume Matrillion Williams will play DB. Yeah, so that's the eighth commit for Syracuse. Uh, they have the, according to 24-7, now the number 36th class in the country. That's definitely a highlight for us. We are, what can I say? We're killing it. Um, uh, you know what's impressive? This kid is like, this kid is what, like a half a dozen, maybe like seven or eight, including like Oklahoma State and a couple other big ones, um, Power 5 offers. And he is our, I mean, this, you know, you're, you're splicing, I mean, who, who even knows what the difference is, but like he's, per 24-7, our number six ranked commit out of eight. So like, our, our average commit is a pretty, it's a pretty high level for, for compared to like where we've been, where we used to, be pretty excited if they had like one or two other power five offers now it seems like everyone has at least a few which yeah awesome let's uh let's celebrate that i am 
Oh god, this uh, Baylor and the Bear, the Baylor Bear jersey is just amazing. This is stupid. <laughs> like, he looks like, confused. He looks confused. A because he's in clothes, and B because uh, I'm pretty sure that what they did here was they got a jersey that like they either like stitched it on him instead of getting like an extra, extra, extra large one, or they like built the statue like with and like merged things together like around the jersey, and now they can't replace it. He looks like he's growling in like anger over having to wear this jersey, but like confused anger. He's like, "Why, why am, am I a Baylor? <laughs> why, hey, why am I a Baylor? Can I leave? Like, I, I disavow my alma mater I don't be uh, because I'm a bear with a degree. And B, why am I wearing this jersey? And why am I so like in a, such a frumpy position? <laughs> it is weird. I was also I couldn't see. The, the bears were, like, hiding and, like, would not come out under any circumstances. I don't blame them. Yeah, when I was there. And I was like, I feel you guys. Cause, and that was even before, like, I think that was before the Pepper Report even came out. So, like, it's only gotten worse from there. Yeah, you see that March Layback has a book coming out? Oh, God. This is going to get so Like, it worse. just announced today. It's, I wouldn't feel great about it. NCAA, hold, hold, your, uh, hold your investigation for this because... You know who's thrilled? UNC. UNC is not going to... NCAA is so far backed up with all this stuff. It's like Louisville's supposed to be coming in like a month or two now. That like, what? UNC may never... They might just hope that it gets buried enough to like not have to deal with it. Which? Which NC State message boards will never let them. No, and <laughs> NC State message boards are so pissed about like everything. Like... Like, if you thought that, like, Georgetown fans were, like, obsessive about us and everything. Like oh, it's not even close. Not even NC that. State. State fans, like, will tweet at me just, like, anytime I mention UNC. Like, I mentioned the Sleeping Giant shit yesterday. And, like, every every single NC State blog and, like, even reporter was, like, tweeting at me. Like, that's not us. That's UNC. <laughs> like, oh, no, it's you, too. Like, <laughs> you know why I think it is? It's because NC State isn't anyone's, like, they're, they're always a bridesmaid, but never a bride in terms of, like, the rivalry. Because oh, yeah. like, Duke well, and UNC. They're, they're, yeah, they're yeah pretty not- much. Yeah, Exactly. And like with the same exact schools, which makes it even funnier. Like, <laughs> um, but like Duke and UNC just care so much more about each other that like NC State's just sitting there like poking people on the shoulders, and no one just no one cares. <laughs> it is funny that that the Tobacco Road like those two schools did that to multiple other schools to the point where NC State left or uh, Maryland left the conference. So um, I'm sure if yeah, so NC State fans time. are just so mad so uh, about everything. They got so many different shades of blue balls from, from the Carolina schools that they finally had to go somewhere else. Like, all, all the conspiracy theories that pop up in, like, politics now, like, NC State's been about that life for, like, 10, ten years. With sports. <laughs> oh, man. This, uh, this, this podcast was about Syracuse for so goddamn long, and then we just, we just, <laughs> we just couldn't have it. We hit the 50-minute mark, and we were like, and we just, we just drove off a cliff. F it. <laughs> anyway um i think that's a good place to stop dan uh th- this has been a fun one yes very much so yeah. we were like weirdly on topic and then weirdly way off topic but like into a ravine <laughs> i appreciated it agreed agreed uh so yeah dan thank you as always for joining it's been a pleasure yes yes look forward to it next week indeed indeed next week casually starts our uh our non-Syracuse-related preview series. Uh, we're doing Independence next week, so there's still going to be plenty of Syracuse talk because there's no way in hell we can talk about, like, four teams for an hour. 
I can't wait to talk about UMass for 25 minutes. My sister went there, so I do have some things to say about it. <laughs> Can we not talk about Notre Dame? Oh, that would be the best. That would be Can very, we put Notre Dame, that'd be Can we put Notre Dame on the ACC one? Oh, let's do that. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> very every day should be Saturday-ish thing to do. All right, we have to remember not to even mention them. Like, we can't even except mention for, that they're an independent. Except for the fact that they went 4-8. Yeah, at the end, we'll just say, and also Notre Dame went four and eight, and then we'll just wrap it. They would have gone three and nine if we'd gotten our shit done. Yeah, I need to like make a note, like put a reminder on my phone or something. No Notre, like just have an alert go off. <laughs> just Notre Dame, but like the N and the O were capitalized, and everything else is lowercase. <laughs> You'll know. Oh God. Anyway, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Troy Noon's Absolute Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk on any other service you use and uh i can't say go orange because there's nothing going there, on there's no oh, orange to no, go no rowing oh and uh track right uh yeah, we, we got still rowing. got our we got rowing and track so so go justin knight yeah still go orange go orange at jared we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion and once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com.